0: good afternoon thank you so much for being here when I was a kid my least favorite class was chorus class but it wasn't because I didn't like music uh, I love music it was because I never could stand the songs that the teacher picked and asked us to sing. Um, There was one song that we probably sang like four or five different years, uh, and it's the song, My Favorite Things from the Sound of Music. Are you guys familiar with that song? It's just a favorite of chorus teachers everywhere. And uh, if you like that song, that's great. Go home and hum it all week. More power to you. But I never liked that song, and the reason why I didn't care for it was because the favorite things aren't really that good of things. Okay? Let's review. The song starts off like this. Raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens. Bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens. Now, have you ever heard a conversation like this in your life where a lady says, oh, honey, thank you, the roses are so beautiful. And then the guy's like, well, it doesn't seem like you're very happy with them. And she's like, well... If you really cared about our anniversary, you would have got the kind of roses that had raindrops on them, right? Like, no one's ever said that because that's a stupid thing to like. Or how about this? Has anyone ever said, Mmm, this tea is so good, it must have been made in a copper kettle. Like, no one's ever said that either. And the song goes on. Cream-colored ponies and crisp apple strudels, doorbells and sleigh bells, and schnitzel with noodles. Now, how do doorbells make the list? Because nobody likes it when someone comes to your house and bothers you. I think especially in Montana, when the doorbell rings, people are like, woman, get my musket. Right? But it's somebody's favorite thing. But oddly enough, As much as the first couple of lines of that song just never really quite connected with me, there's something about the chorus that just draws everybody in. Because the chorus says, when the dog bites, when the bee stings, when I'm feeling sad, I simply remember my favorite things and then I don't feel so bad. And you have to admit that that's pretty relatable. Nobody likes getting bit by a dog. (laughs) Nobody likes getting stung by a bee. Nobody likes prolonged sadness. And I think what uh, this song does such a good job illustrating is that, you know, sometimes we connect to things that are positive and ideal and favorite things, but sometimes we connect to things that are negative and unideal and really not that pleasant. Well, much like this song, God connects with us through both the ideal and the unideal. Sometimes we're overwhelmed with blessings. Sometimes our joy leads us to praise. But other times God reaches out and connects with us in the low and the unideal moments of life. 2020 has not been a good year for anybody. COVID-19, economic recession, isolation, American cities burning with unrest. Does that all mean that God has lost control? Or are there sections of Scripture that hint at what God intends to do in moments like these, the unideal and the unpleasant? Well, the last few weeks we've been studying some books from the Old Testament, some books of the minor prophets. That's what they're called. And in each one, God is revealing himself in in new ways to his people. uh, And he's reaching out to his people in times of disaster and discomfort and hardship. So if you haven't already, please open up your Bibles to the book of Micah. It's towards the end of the Old Testament. And as we examine this short seven-chapter book, our outline will be as follows. In section one, we're going to talk about the standard, or what it was that God's people were were called to do at that time. Then in section two, we're going to talk about the pattern of, of what we see over and over again in the books of the Prophets. Then in section 3, we'll wrap up with modern relevance and application, why this is important for us today. Would you guys please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that on the sunny and best days you speak to us and we can connect with you. But we thank you also that on the gloomy and the unideal uh, uh, days and situations that uh, you have things to teach us about how you relate and reach out to us as well. We just pray that in the next 15 or 20 minutes that you would help us understand why there's so many of these books of the prophets in the Old Testament and what it is that you're trying to communicate to us about you through them. Amen. All right, let's start off really quickly by talking about the standard. What was it that God's people were supposed to be doing at this specific time in the Old Testament? And the simple answer is that God was calling the Israelites to live as His covenant people. And right there we have kind of a churchy word. What does it mean when we're called to live in a covenant? What does it mean to have a covenant? Well, there's all sorts of different ways of looking at that. The official definition of a covenant would be An agreement which brings about a relationship. We can all understand that. A covenant is an agreement between two parties that starts a relationship. So a couple examples of some just everyday covenants might be uh, if you hire a personal trainer, right? If you hire a personal trainer, there's this understanding that you will pay them and they will help you get your body just a little bit better in shape. Or How about a book club? A book club is a covenant where you're agreeing to read this book and get together with other people who've read the book, and then you're going to try to stimulate each other's ideas with uh, the themes from there. Probably the best idea, the best example of a covenant would be marriage, right? Two people come together with an agreement, richer or poorer, sickness or health, and all the other vows that are made. So in the Old Testament, God's people are called to live in a covenant with God. And it's really a beautiful thing when we understand it as God presented it. So uh, I'd like... Uh, to read to you. One of my favorite uh, passages from the Old Testament. It's in Exodus 19, verses 3 to 6. And this is probably the clearest place where God explains this covenant that He wants the Israelites to live with throughout the Old Testament. And it says this, Then Moses went to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. And now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. And although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words to speak to the Israelites. One of the beautiful things about this sequence is that The Israelites were saved before the law was given. And a lot of times as Christians we think that um, uh, because we've obeyed, because we've done good things, that God has saved us. But that was never the pattern between God and His people. Uh, Another thing is that Israel was not called to obey in order to prove their moral superiority. But if you really just process the the sequence of that passage, God has taken the special people and he's already saved them. He's already taken them out of Egypt. And once they're saved, he says, now I want you to live in a covenant with me. I want you to show all the other nations of the world what I'm like. And as you show the nations what I'm like, you'll be blessed richly and my favor will be upon you. That's uh, the essence of the covenant that the Old Testament people are supposed to be living out. Uh, the next question that might pop into your mind is like, well, what are the expectations? What did they have to do? And uh, Exodus 20 comes after Exodus 19, and Exodus 20 is the Ten Commandments. And so the Ten Commandments are kind of the summary of the laws that the Israelites were supposed to live by. But, you know, when we're kids and we get to the first day of school uh, or or uh, mom and dad put out a new list of rules that they tape to the refrigerator or whatever, sometimes we respond to rules with, oh, this is what I have to do. But, of course, the Ten Commandments in this context are, are the way that God's people were supposed to show the rest of the world who God was. So, as the Israelites followed the Ten Commandments, as they revered God, as they honored their parents, as they practiced marital faithfulness, as they respected property rights, as they did all these things that the other cultures didn't do at that time, the rest of the world got to see what God was like and the Israelites would have God's favor upon them as they did those things. But just as you can be so lazy that your personal trainer would fire you, and just as you could be so uh, 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 uninvolved that your book club would kick you out, you can break a covenant. And so the prophets, the book of Micah, is about this prophet standing up and telling the Israelites that they've broken the covenant. They haven't held up their end of the bargain. So this brings us to section two, and I kind of want to use Micah as a stand-in for all of the Old Testament prophets. There's an exception or two, probably the book of Daniel, probably the book of Jonah. Those are books of the prophets that follow a different pattern. But almost all the other books of the prophets, they follow this pattern. First, the prophet lists the offenses, the specific things that God's people did to break that covenant. Then they list the consequences of what it is that's going to happen as a result of having broke that covenant. Pretty bleak, right? But then each of the prophets also ends with hope in the covenant restored. Each of the books of the Old Testament prophets talk about some sort of future promise or some sort of hope that God is not a God who's content to let us break that covenant and just live out the rest of our lives in misery and isolation, God will act to restore that covenant. So let's kind of trace through that very quickly here in Micah. And everything that uh, the Israelites have done to break the covenant in that time, could kind of fit into two categories here in the book of Micah. And let's just kind of try these on for size and ask ourselves if these are things that we as individuals still struggle with in 2020. The first category is idolatry. And if you look in your sermon notes there in the bulletin, there's about a half dozen places where the book of Micah lists out how the Israelites have been unfaithful and they've worshipped God. uh, They've worshipped idols instead of worshipping God. Here's one verse that kind of summarizes that in uh, Micah 5.13. And it says, I'll destroy your idols and your sacred stones from among you and you'll no longer bow down to the work of your hands. And there's a couple other places there. I hope that you get a chance to read the book of Micah this week. And as you do, you're going to see that in almost every chapter, God's people are serving idols. And if you're like me, you probably think to yourself, like how unsophisticated? Who, Who would ever serve an idol? But I think idols look differently today than they looked back then. And I've been kind of thinking this week about what are the idols that I sometimes worship. And I thought of three things. Screens, spending, and secrets. Screens, spending, and secrets. And so I just want you to very briefly contemplate. I want you to think, what are the things that you stare at on screens? What are the things that you spend your money on? And what are the secrets that you wouldn't want anyone else to know about you. And those are probably intersecting with the wrongful idols that each one of us have in our lives. Back in the Old Testament time, they had literal idols. They were actual stone things that they were bowing down to. But I think we we have uh, different kind of idols ourselves. Uh, The other thing that Micah just really blasts the Israelites for is injustice. And I think, again, just like last week, this is just a very timely, sovereign thing that God has brought before this particular church. We're uh, talking about the book of Micah. And one of the two things that God is most concerned about is injustice. I've had some friends this week that I've been talking to, and uh, they've kind of said to me in polite ways, Scott, I'm just tired of watching the news and I'm tired of all this talk about injustice. I'm just tired of it. And as I contemplated what I've been reading all week in the book of Micah, my response was, you know what? It's, it's kind of a big deal to God. And so since it's a big deal to God, it should be a big deal to His people. And as you look there in your sermon notes, you'll see just a few of many references where specific things that the Israelites have done are brought to their attention. Uh, one example here in Micah 2.2, talking about the wrongful things that they've done, and it says, "...they covet fields and they seize them, and houses and take them, and they defraud people of their homes, and they rob them of their inheritance." And as we get back to this kind of idea of the covenant, God's people were supposed to be fair in all their financial dealings and in all their legal dealings, and they weren't. And God considered that so severe of an offense that he considered the covenant of, as having been broken. As we kind of trace through this pattern that we see in all these Old Testament books of the prophet, the consequences are announced. Micah says that there's going to be destruction of all of Israel's best cities. And there's a couple of references there of how their two capital cities are going to fall. And then uh, it just talks about as a result of the covenant being broken that there's going to be great misery throughout the land. Listen to what Micah says in Micah 1.8. He says, Because of this I will weep and I will wail. I will go about barefoot and naked. I will howl like a jackal and moan like an owl. I mean, that's a little bit poetic, but that's also just expressing how broken the Israelites are for the state of what's happening in their country. It goes on. There's some other verses that talk about the violence and the emptiness that's all throughout the country. But then, like we said, the pattern also ends with hope and restoration because when we're unfaithful to God, when we sin, when I sin, God is a great God and He's not content to just leave it on those terms, even when we're the ones who violated the covenant. And so Micah also has this beautiful hope of what God will do to restore that relationship that God's people are called to have as representatives uh, and people of his favor. Listen to what it says here in Micah 5, verses 2 and 4. And I want you guys to be Bible detectives and tell me if you can kind of guess who's being talked about here that will restore this relationship that we're called to have with God. It says in Micah 5 too, But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come... For me, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. And in verse four it says, He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they'll live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. Can you guys think of anyone who came from Bethlehem, who became a great shepherd? Who's extended God's covenant to all the people of the earth? Of course, it's talking about Jesus. Well, this is where I really wanted to get today. Let's wrap up here in section 3. Let's talk about why this is important for us. Probably at least a half of the Old Testament is filled with the books of the prophets. Why did God fill so much of the Old Testament with these books that have this same pattern of, of God's people breaking the covenant and the offenses listed and the consequences listed only to end with hope that the covenant would be restored. How is that relevant for us today? Let me wrap up with three ways that I think this speaks to us as a modern audience. And I have rearranged those a little bit from your sermon notes if you guys are uh, following along, but uh, all those elements are the same. The first reason why the book of relevance, the book of Micah speaks to us so relevantly today is this. It reminds us that covenant restoration is available all, You guys might be reading through the book of Micah today or at a future time, and you might think to yourself, wow, Israel was really bad. Israel has no hope. And you might also come to a time personally where you think to yourself, I have been so sinful, or I have been so unfaithful, that I really have no hope that God would reach down to me. But the book of Micah reminds us that this restoration, this relational restoration is possible for all. Listen to what it says in Micah 4.2. It says this, Many nations will come and say, Come let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He'll teach us His ways, so that we may walk in His paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Many nations will come and say, and when we study the Old Testament, we have to be careful, uh, because uh, the Old Testament... Uh, it talks about God's interactions with a specific people at a specific time in history. So some of the things that the Old Testament talks about is, is rooted in a time and a place in history, and it's not what God is saying for all people for all time. For example, we don't sacrifice animals. We don't practice polygamy. There's things that happen in the Old Testament that were part of a specific time in history. But what God is saying here in Micah 4.2 is that All nations and all people are invited into this covenant relationship in some way or form. And I hope that stirs your heart. And when we started off today by talking about how God wants his people to represent who he is to the world, I hope that stirs your heart. And I hope there's at least a part of you that says, yeah, I want to show the world who God is by the way that I revere him and the way that I treat Others and we all have that invitation. That's the first modern relevance for us today from the book of Micah that covenant restoration is available to all of us sinners and to all of us who haven't held up our end of the bargain. Here's the second thing that really jumps out to me, and it's this the book of Micah reminds us that this restoration is possible because of God's mercy, it's not because of our obedience. It's not because we always have our act together, but it happens because of God's mercy. These are probably my favorite and the most powerful verses in the whole book. Listen to how Micah concludes this book in chapter 7, verses 18 to 20. And it's talking about how this covenant is still available for us because of God's great mercy. If you've ever felt like you uh, have broken the expectations that God has imparted over you, Listen to these verses with a little bit of extra sensitivity. Micah says, Who is a God like you who pardons sins and forgives the transgressions of the remnants of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but you delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be faithful to Jacob and show love to Abraham and you, as you pledged an oath to our ancestors in days long ago. In other words, we can live in covenant relationship with God. We can represent God to the world. Uh, we can resume that relationship even after sin, even after we haven't held up our end of the bargain because of God's great mercy. Uh, I don't know if this is true or not, so don't say it's from me, but I've heard it from a reliable source, and I heard that there's a clerk at one of the stores in this town, and if a kid says, Hi, Grandma Cookie, she'll give you a cookie. I don't know if it's true or not, but someone told me that. Now, if if you go up to Grandma Cookie and say, Hi, Grandma Cookie, and she gives your kid a cookie, like, why is that? Is it because you deserve it? Is it because you've earned it? Or is it because of her great generosity? If you're a kid and you say, hey, Grandma Cookie, and you get a cookie, you are getting that cookie because of her generosity and love for children. In the same way, Micah 7.18 is saying that we can re-enter into covenant relationship with God. Why? Because we deserve it? Because we earned it? Because we paid for it? No, because of God's great mercy. And that's one of the things that the book of Micah says the loudest, And I love how the New Testament kind of continues these thoughts that are taught to us in the Old Testament. And in 1 Corinthians 11.25, Paul is teaching about the Lord's Supper, and he's quoting something that Jesus said. And in 1 Corinthians 11.25, Jesus says, as he's explaining to us why we should celebrate communion and why we should take the Lord's Supper, Jesus said, this is the new covenant made in my blood. And I hope a light bulb is going off because what Jesus is saying in that moment is just like we're familiar with the old covenant in the old testament, and just like God's people would hear from the prophets that they'd broke the covenant, and they were no longer representing God as they should because of their idolatry and because of their injustice, but they believed in the mercy of God to restore that covenant. Jesus is saying that what the Lord's Supper is all about is that there's a new covenant covenant, and Jesus is the fulfillment or the actualization of the mercy of God. And so it's through Jesus Christ's death and judgment in our place before a holy God that we can now be reconciled into the covenant and that this relationship can continue on. The good news of what Jesus is teaching in the Lord's Supper is that we now live in the new covenant, and it's not upheld by our obedience. It's not upheld by our Bible knowledge. It's not held together by our church attendance. It's held up by God's great mercy. And that great mercy is demonstrated through what Jesus Christ did on the cross by facing the wrath of God in our place uh, and extending an opportunity for us to celebrate the Lord's Supper and to be part of God's family. The prophecies in Micah 5 about somebody coming from Bethlehem becoming a shepherd and becoming our strength, like that's fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And let me wrap up with this. This is the third and final way that Micah has spoken to me this week here in 2020. The book of Micah shows us that covenant restoration comes to us in our weakness, okay? The book of Micah reminds us, it teaches us that covenant restoration comes to us even in our weakness. Listen to what it says in Micah 4, 6 to 7. It says, In that day declares the Lord, I will gather the lame, I will assemble the exiles, and those I have brought to grief, I will make the lame my remnant, those driven away a strong nation. The Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion from that day forever. What a beautiful image that those that the Lord is going to gather to restore the covenant are going to be the lame and the exiles and the weak. And what this means is that you don't have to make yourself strong to get back to the place with God that you want to be. There's not just one thing that you have to fix before you can get right with God again. There's not just... One addiction that you have to overcome or one relationship that you have to fix because when Micah says that God is going to gather the lame and the remnant and the exiles, what he's saying is that that you can you can find that restoration even in your weakness. You don't have to put everything back together on your own. God wants to bring you back into the richness of this relationship where you display who He is and His favor is on you, but it doesn't come through our... Actions It doesn't come through our obedience. It comes through the mercy of God. It comes through what Jesus Christ has done for us. And when Jesus restores that relationship, now we can get back into that pattern that we're called to live out. I'd like to invite the worship team to come forward and wrap up our service with a final song. And let me offer this by means of a conclusion. The book of Micah reminds... It's not super easy to access. Uh, Not all of you have been on the edge of your seat. Uh, The book of Micah is full of failure. It's full of despair. It's full of kind of this stand-in of what they did wrong and what we still do wrong today, how we fall short of what God has asked us to do. But of course, God uses disaster and discomfort and hardship to remind us that even when we break covenant promises... God does not forsake and abandon us. Even when we break covenant promises, God does not forsake and abandon us. He delights in showing mercy, and Jesus Christ is the full demonstration of that mercy that allows us to thrive in this new covenant. Let's think about what uh, we've kind of looked at through this overview of the book of Micah. Let's be challenged as God's people to lay down our own personal idols, whatever's coming into your mind. Let's be convicted to pursue justice as a church, as a community, and as individuals. And let's close by worshiping Jesus Christ, the one that allows us to be back in a restored covenant and allows us to enjoy the favor of God as we show the world who he is. Let's think about that. Let's worship the one who makes it possible.